first, let's take a moment to thank our biggest sponsor of this podcast, TPM Focus, a strategy and execution consulting firm focused on generating revenue and finding product market fit for startups and small to medium-sized companies that are launching a new innovation or entering a new market. In a nutshell, if you're launching a new innovation or into a new market, we'll align your technology, marketing, sales, and customer success with your financial goals to ensure your company makes money while finding and solidifying your place in the market. It's nothing worse than stepping out there and the money isn't rolling in like you thought it would. And even worse, you're getting random bits of advice from random people and it's all conflicting, causing you confusion. We clear all that up and move you forward. Our customers earn their first millions with our strategies and if they want to raise money from investors, they can because they have traction or they have the option to decide not to because revenue from customers create a healthy business for them anyway. Head over to tpmfocus.com to see testimonials and reach out if you'd like to work with us. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Unpolished MBA. And as you guys know, we're changing up everything. And so we're going to jump right into the conversation. I have Andre Barnes with me today. Hey, Andre. Hey, Monique. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm now, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. You sound so relaxed and so cool. People would not even realize that you're a developer. <laughs> you're so cool. So I love it. <laughs> So everyone, um, you you guys know that I I'm a fan of LinkedIn and I have met some of the most brilliant people ever on there. And I would say Andre falls into that category. And I just had to share him with you guys, even though I share him privately, <laughs> you know, his his skills and stuff with folks, but I had to share him with you all publicly on a in a larger um audience because of just what he does, his philosophies. Um, behind development and working with founders and entrepreneurs is really not the norm. But I'm in total alignment with how he thinks about things and all that. So I'm excited to have him on. So Andre, your your LinkedIn profile actually says that you share your brain with non-technical entrepreneurs trying to navigate the software world. Like that, that's long, but I know it's meaningful. So why did you change your title to that? And exactly what do you mean? Yeah, it's a lot to say. Um, <laughs> you know, there's software is eating the world these days, right? So everybody's mm -hmm. building software projects. And um, a lot of times there are, you know, people that have software backgrounds and, you know, like the Y Combinators of the world, they kind of want you to, to have a tech co-founder or something like that. But there's a lot of people with business ideas and a lot more people have businesses that are not technical than that are. That's and true. I've, I've worked um, in software for a long time, first starting off in the corporate world and um, then just moving into consulting. And I started to see, you know, started to get a lot of non-technical people that I was working with and um, just, they just didn't understand how technical projects work. So they end up spending way too much money to, to build software that basically no one wants. Okay. So, um, so that's kind of why oh. I got into this whole thing. And that's why I changed my title to that. 
Yeah. I mean, that, that pretty much explains what you do. So I'm thinking when someone approaches you to work with you, what do they usually say they need? <laughs> they have an idea. They want to build it. That's what it is, right? It's always a technical co-founder they're looking for, mm -hmm. but it's usually, I got this idea. Can you build it? Is it a good idea? That's usually how, oh. how, how a lot of the conversations start. That whole, is it a good idea thing? Like, oh, I shy away from that. I don't judge ideas. How do you feel about that? Well, you know, everybody wants a sounding board and that's cool. So my, my typical response is, well, let's go talk to the market. They determine yes. what's a good idea and what's not a good idea. So I don't know if there's a story of this guy, um, I think his name is Peter Dow. He sold a rock. He sold a, he called it a pet rock, right? And mm -hmm. he became a millionaire from selling a rock, like a rock that you see on the street. <laughs> so if someone came to you and said, hey, I want to sell a rock, would you think that's a good idea? <laughs> right. I mean, he turned it into a business opportunity with great marketing and great sales, obviously. But so, you know, Uber, who you're riding with strangers, mm -hmm. you're sleeping in somebody's bed with Airbnb. Were those good ideas? Yeah. So, How did uh, they get us to be know? comfortable with that? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Now it's like you can't, you know, I can't travel without, you know, having an Uber come pick me up and take That's me to right. where I want to go. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, when people ask me about bad ideas or good, good ideas or bad ideas, I'm like, well, you know, just go see, you have to go start talking to right. the ideal people that would use this thing. And if they think it's a good idea and they would pay for it, then you might be onto something. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my approach to it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, eh, maybe it's a good idea. You should go find out. <laughs> right. That's how, yeah. That's how I take it. See, that's that's how I initially even um, seen your content on LinkedIn, because I'm in alignment with that. Like, I don't judge ideas because some of the most seemingly crazy ideas have have actually been wildly successful. So who am I like? And then a lot of times, I don't know if you've experienced this. A lot of folks will have ideas. You're not the ideal client for it anyways. So you can't tell them that. Yeah, this is great. I'm not the ideal client they would be targeting you know, to be their customer anyways. So. Right. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a false positive. Right. Um, it feels good. So when people, <laughs> yeah, for sure, for it. sure. It absolutely does. You need, you need that to get started and get going when you're taking something and make uh, taking nothing and making it something mm -hmm. you, you kind of need that, that confidence, that vote of confidence. But you know, what I look at when people come to me specifically and ask me that what I really think they're asking me is can we build this is it feasible to build so you know i kind of do run down the hey do you have a business opportunity or is this uh just a cool idea i i do go through that but then i try to get to okay so if you want to talk about building it this is what that looks like mm -hmm. because i think you know as a technical person that's what a lot of people actually really want to want to know mm -hmm. and in these days if it's a digital product i mean you for the most part you can build it i mean if you see something like it yeah you can build it if you have enough resources right yeah I don't yeah. know if it'll make sense to do that, but that's, you know, that's a different question. Yeah. Huh. That's, that's very interesting. Have you ever come across something that you're like, 
yeah, okay. Um, no, I can't build that. <laughs> Personally, um, maybe there there have been projects that I've come across that are very proprietary. Yeah. And I just don't have the knowledge and and something like that. But for the most part, people want to build SaaS. They it, want to build SaaS type of things these yeah. days. And yeah. that stuff is not that that difficult to do. Yeah. You know, and even with SaaS products, like, uh, you know, we'll say, oh, the Uber of this. Like, I'm the Uber of restaurants. I'm the Uber of school supplies. Like, you know, every business model, every technology can be adapted um to like another business model right another industry so just like you said you've seen it built once and work somewhere in another industry before then the te technologically it can be duplicated but not necessarily the market results um because it depends exactly yeah exactly it depends so but here's the thing so many people have done like developer boot camps and things like that and called themselves developers and some are really good some are self-taught and all that um, but I was looking at your profile. I know that you're actually a dis degreed STEM professional because your your degree is in um, CS, which um, for those who don't know, that's computer science. Do you think that that has been um, helpful in where you are today or is a lot of your development knowledge, you know, from your corporate experience and self-taught? Yeah. Um, interesting question. So that's like my relationship with school, right? That's, that's kind of what that is. So I think that going through and getting a computer science degree helped me shape my thoughts yeah. and help me think, right? Yep. So um, that's what I think. I mean, I think that's what a lot of school is, honestly. Of course, the, there's the social component of teaching you how to be social, but it kind of shaped my thoughts. Can I say that I attribute what I learned in school to what I do today? Almost absolutely not. And um, it got me started, but then it was, especially with software, because it's changing all the time. There's new technologies, new frameworks, new patterns. So it's constantly learning and understanding what you need to do. But those foundational ways of thinking um, definitely came from school. Mm -hmm. um, developer boot camps and all that, you can do that stuff. It's, they're really good. And they're, they can get you ready to write software in 12 weeks, probably. Um, they're going to be expensive and they're going to be really intensive. But they can definitely get the job done. I've seen it done with many people, but there's a lot of work that you need to do as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I got into computer science early on. I was just into it. Um, I was into video games uh, and I, and <laughs> on my computer and uh, I was made to fix it every time it broke. So that's kind of how I got into the whole computer world. That's but into software development in general was it was more like uh, it was more self-taught reading books and actually doing things. Yeah, that's so cool. You know, and you're right. Like, really, when it comes down to like the formal structure education, um, I always tell people, even with with you know my engineering degree, it trained me in how to think about things um, in a strategic way. So it doesn't matter what it is. It's like okay, I don't know. You're you know, creating a new recipe. All right, let's think about this strategically. Oh, you're having a baby. All right, let's plan this out. All right, you're building a house. Like I apply <laughs> the principles to everything. So 
Um, yeah, it trains the way you think and not everyone. And, and this is the thing I've seen some folks do, um, developer boot camps because, you know, that's all the, the rave people say, Oh, get into these boot camps. You know, you can make 80, 90,000, you know, improve your standard of living. Um, but the thing is not everyone thinks that way naturally. Like it's, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, some schools, that's why programs are four or five years long, because you have to like literally train the way you think about things, unless it's kind of something that that is a, a bit intuitive that was built upon, like with you. Right. Um, you already had kind of a muscle there and you just strengthened it over time. Um, so I would say that's that's really unique uh, about you. And so <laughs> let me ask you this about no code. <laughs> And so we're going to talk about that because, sure. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's a really big topic these days. And, you know, just tell me, well, first of all, you might want to describe to some folks what your definition of no code is, because everyone has their own ideas of what it is. And just tell me your thoughts on on the no code, you know, world we're in now. Yeah, you got to open up a can here. But yeah, um, so I look at no code as d was it diy do it yourself do it yourself right mm -hmm. so it allows it allows people to just get in there and build things build automation um through simple plugins like things like zapier or you can go all the way up to some platform yeah. and build a website with something like i don't know a bubble or whatever just there's a ton of platforms out there these days and so I almost look at no code as like Home Depot, kind of like you can go there and you can go get some pieces and put something together if you want to. If that's what your motivation is, um, you can definitely do that. And I think, though, the, the, the tricky thing about it is like I'm all for empowering the individual to go do what they want to do and just to go figure things out. But. A lot of times, right, you'll see in tech startups and tech companies that are started by technical people, yeah. they will stop developing almost immediately and work on business development. Yep. They will go and hire a, you know, another engineer to take over the engineering aspect. So from non-technical people, I don't necessarily... Uh, so I, I don't really recommend going to no code because you want to build your platform. Mm -hmm. I think if you're really interested and that's what you want to do and you want to start out testing the market, maybe, maybe that's an idea, mm -hmm. but it's, it's more valuable to, to go start seeing if people are interested in what you're doing instead yeah. of just building it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I also think that it's funny. So no code to me is just a marketing term. Honestly, mm -hmm. we've been no coding forever. So I always tell people Excel was the original no code tool. Right? So <laughs> yes. You were able to do a lot with Excel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now we have more specialized tools that allow you to do different things and mm -hmm. they're learning curves as well, which is interesting. So Absolutely. maybe there it's right. Maybe it's a shorter learning curve than learning to code. Maybe. But you got to learn. You have to learn how to use these tools. You have to learn how to use these ecosystems. Mm -hmm. And there's a few things that I look at as well. So with no code, there's you have to 
look out for like vendor lock-in, right? So if you think of like Apple products or products of a certain type, um, Apple, or even I call Amazon Prime the same thing, but like Apple products. So for instance, you have an Apple phone, you have the Apple TV, you have the Apple watch, and then suppose you don't want to do that anymore. Suppose you want an Android. Now you have to go rebuy everything, right? Right. So with no code, if you're with a vendor that kind of locks you in that you can only play in their sandbox mm -hmm. and say you outgrow the platform or they have features that you, that you, they don't have features that you need. So you need to go somewhere else. Maybe you need to do custom development or whatever it is, but you can't just because it's vendor locking. Now, I don't, I don't know how drastic that that is on on the different platforms but i that's something i do think about yeah and also there's scale right you think about scale as i don't know of any platforms that have reached huge scale on for no code so um i would i would worry about i would think about that but yeah if we're in, if you're in the nascent stages maybe it's not such a big deal mm -hmm. but a lot of times when these platforms scale up it's performance you have to worry about and it's cost yeah so and and once you if you're locked into that platform you you, just, you might not be able to do anything about it oh yeah <laughs> interesting That's too, true. thing too yeah the interesting thing with these platforms too is they all have developers mm -hmm. so it's it's uh they all like have certification programs for developers mm -hmm. um so you're a no code developer certified in that platform. Right. It's real interesting right. to see the whole thing evolve. Honestly, I almost think of these no code platforms as software companies. Yeah. It's just another, it's just another tech stack. Mm -hmm. So, so oh, yeah, it's interesting, great. but great way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you said you look at it as like a uh, Home Depot, I, mm -hmm. you know, I immediately thought about. <laughs> DIY and things like with, with mm -hmm. my first house and I'm like yeah oh we could just do this and next thing you know it's mm -hmm. harder than what you thought it was um you you have to cut things 10 times because you did it wrong the first time the second time the third time you got to keep running back to the store it ends up costing as much if not more than just having hired someone to do it right <laughs> so absolutely it just really, you know, it really illuminated that experience when you gave that comparison. It's like, yeah, you think, oh, this is simple. I want, I once built my own. That was fun. Don't get me wrong. Um, and I had the time. But when you're trying to build a business, you don't have time for all that. You're going to run out of money and motivation and everything for it. But I actually built my own sprinkler system <laughs> in my yard. I was like, oh, I could do this. Just get the PVC pipe, the glue. You know, the heads, oh my gosh, that was, it just reminds me of what I've seen founders get into um, when they try to do no code and they have really no experience um, and say, hey, I'll figure this out. Sure, you can, but it's going to take 10 times as long as you thought and probably cost yeah. you just as much, you know, or more. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there's, you know, it's one of those things where there's smoke, there's fire. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, I see it out there on the horizon. I think it'll get better. And I think um, it'll be more accessible. It'll just take plenty of time for that to happen. And I don't know when it'll happen or what it'll look like. I don't know if you're going to be able to build a large scale SaaS ever on one of these platforms, but maybe because we always try to work and make things better. So yeah. I'd assume that that will happen. Um, 
and you know but then there's going to be this huge learning curve it's still a learning curve <laughs> people like... said that about wordpress right and then now with gutenberg everybody's like, oh yeah it's even easier and then you have all the um divi and um um elementor and all these different you know drag and drop um tools but it's still it's not easy for people who aren't in that space so yep. i mean yep. how well, long not interested and yeah they're not interested who wants to use now you have to learn development marketing sales <laughs> like you have to learn all these things especially those who don't come from um um who come from corporate environments right they're used to having a team and when you don't have a team yep. like this this is the surefire way to lead to burnout trying to do be all things um in your company especially development if that's not your your core skill like it yeah I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so any, I, I, I'm glad we talked about the no code and you were talking about how there's different developers. Um, you know, some people are no code developers. Some people are WordPress developers. Um, and I always yeah. run into this with first time founders is they just say, I need a developer and they don't realize the different types of developers. Um, so I just yeah. want you to kind of talk a little bit about the different types of developers for a minute. Um, and I always say, um, it reminds me of how people say I need a lawyer, especially in the tech startup world. And some of them hire family lawyers, <laughs> criminal, you know, uh, criminal lawyers, divorce lawyers. And it's like, no, there's a specific type of lawyer when you're a startup founder, you know, the specific type of legal advice. Um, and it's different, there's different types of attorneys, you know, IP attorney versus, you know, uh, other type tax attorneys, all of that. Um, and I think people do the same thing with developers. So I just want you to kind of address that as far as like the different types of developers. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, it's, everyone has a title these days. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the, the, the main things in the web world these days, there's front end developers, there's back end developers, and there's quote unquote full stack. So Front-end developer is the developer that kind of works on the stuff that you see on the screen and that you're kind of working around with, whether it's on the screen or whether it's on a mobile device. Um, the back-end developers are actually making stuff work, uh, you know, saving data, connecting to other sources or other APIs to grab data and to give to the front-end so they can do whatever. And then you have a full-stack developer that kind of does both. Um, that, that goes between the front and goes between the back. Usually, not always, usually this is someone that was a front-end developer or was a back-end developer that just learned the other skill set. And there is overlap because, you know, code is code and a lot of people can just read the code. But um, there's different ex levels of expertise, right? And then if we go a bit deeper, they're data scientists, they're machine learning developers who actually don't contribute as much to building an actual product that you're actually working with, but they build the infrastructure that you need to kind of, um, to delight the user, to serve whatever the content is that they need mm -hmm. to use. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's so many kinds of developers that that you can that you can get but a lot of a lot of times especially at like the code schools and those places they're they're churning out like full stack developers so that they can come and actually completely bring a project to life um yeah 
So it's interesting you say that. Um, like I know some really talented developers. Um, and some of the, you know, most of them will say, you know what, I'm I'm more of a back end. Like I, I've I've yet to meet a developer that's like I'm an expert at front and back and I, I just do it all. And they actually are good at it all. <laughs> like, I've seen people be really, really good at one, but they understand or can do the other, um, you know, as as needed, but it's not their preference, right? They like to stick with what they really know. What has been your experience? Yes, but hang on, let me just say one thing I forgot to mention. So we have those types of developers, but then they're different languages. Yeah, so that's right. Mm -hmm. a, a front-end developer that, knows one framework and another uh, like let's say that knows the microsoft framework mm -hmm. and then a front-end developer that knows the javascript frame uh frameworks um so there are all these different types of 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 languages and you have the different types of developers i, I forgot to mention that yep mm -hmm. um yeah so my experience with as far as that goes as far as like you know seeing developers and they say hey i'm really good at this and they're not really good that good at that it, it happens honestly it's but that whole full stack know, thing just like we talk about in sales like um you know folks being able to be the sdr um and the ae and you know being full cycle salespeople, it takes a long time to develop that um so I, I'm always cautious of those that come from boot camps or, you know, things that they haven't been in depth in the development world and say, I'm a full stack developer. Like I haven't seen good ones that call themselves that they're really strong at front or back, not both. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So here's the thing, though. Um, sometimes you want a generalist more than a specialist right i want someone that can do full stack you're not the greatest uh front end you're not the greatest back end but you know how to do it all mm -hmm. uh rather than having a specialist that's like i only do front end they probably do the best front end work um but you may not need that so but yeah i mean your 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 experience is definitely mine and like i said i think a lot of them a lot of developers including myself i came from the back end world i i can do front end i don't call myself a front end developer but i can do front end right mm -hmm. but um and that's that's usually what happens for the most part and 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 then you'll get to points where developers will like yeah now nah, i only like working on back end because all these problems happen on the front end that i don't want to have to deal with right and technology evolves so quickly that front-end developers are learning something new all the time and so are back-end developers so now if you're full stack you're learning everything um it's just it's a lot more um a lot more for them to learn so yeah so but it's valuable i think if you have the skills to to do both front and back end it's valuable to help to actually get a project off the ground and like i said you may not need so, so much of a specialist for a while yeah yeah, that's true, especially in the early days, definitely. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we're, we're we're talking a little bit about, you know, developers, and I always see mistakes um, happen with founders who aren't used to the, you know, development or technical world when it comes to their engagement with developers, basically the contractual relationship, the expectations of them 
Um, and when they're shopping around for uh, proposals and, you know, things like that to find a developer for their company, it it's typically a struggle because they're not really sure what they're looking for. Um, so I just want to know when, when, when you think about developer engagements, you know, from a founder's perspective, what is like the biggest mistake you see happen, but also what's a tip you can give them to make the process, um, to better for them. Um, so they're not going through 15 developers before they come out with MVP. So the biggest thing that I've learned, um, and this is based on my own experience is as being the practitioner of the developer, a lot of times founders come in with just a list of features and, Hey, I want to build this thing, right? They go to an agency to rent out developers or whatever. And, um, then they're paying by the hour. So that gets real tough because if you look at that engagement, if you just think about that engagement, hourly favors no one but the other party. It puts all the risk on you as the founder because you're doing nothing but paying for hours. You're not really paying for any kind of outcome, right? You're paying for right. hours and hoping that there's an outcome, right? So, you know, and what happens is if your idea is not validated, if you're still doing, you're getting customer feedback, you're going to change your mind. You're going to change your mind on what you want to build and how that's going to work. So you go back and you change that, or you tell your developer or the team that you're working with, and they start assuming like something like technical debt, which technical debt is basically like, Hey, there's a problem with your technical, your, 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 um, software that doesn't align with your business decisions. So it's going to slow us down. We're probably going to create more bugs and ultimately it's just, it's just not a good thing. Debt is not a good thing. Right. Um, well, I shouldn't say not always, it's not always a bad thing, but technical debt, debt like, yes, yep. yes. Technical debt in that way that comes from sort of changing your mind and pivoting is not a good thing. So the hourly billing really is, is tough on a founder. If you can work with uh, a team that can kind of deliver outcomes for you and kind of detach the hours to it, I think that's a lot more helpful because they will likely have a product team that can help you understand how to test your product mm -hmm. and see what the market is saying and help you get to that outcome. Um, I, that's what I would, what I would strive for in sort of your negotiations and you're talking with, talking with founders and also just educate yourself as much as possible on what it's like to develop a software project. Like a lot of times a founder will come in and say, um, and I'm sorry, they'll have a project being built and they'll just notice there's so many, there's bugs, but software and bugs that's just it happens there's not software that doesn't have bugs it just doesn't exist and a lot of times if you're first time you don't understand that right and you're just like well why doesn't this work and why doesn't that work so um those are those are two things i would definitely consider for sure like 
understand how software is built. You want to understand how the, how the, how the, how the sausage is made kind of thing. Right. I mean, you don't have to do it, but at least understand what you're going through so you can kind of make decisions. I'm glad you said that bugs just go hand in hand with creating software um, because I see it happen so much where founders are like, oh, this person doesn't know what they're doing. This thing doesn't work. This, uh, this button doesn't click that, you know, when I click here, it, it you know, it, it times out, it goes a 404, <laughs> you know, error. Yep. yep. And mm -hmm. it, they really, it really becomes uh, a personal attack. <laughs> I've seen it happen before. Um, and so I'm so glad you said that. So when we're talking, so here's the thing with most founders, when they step into this, that's what they're used to being told is like, oh, the hourly rates, the hourly rates. Oh, it's $60 here. Oh, they want a 175. That's too much. I know a guy that can do for 50 an hour. And so I am, I never um, recommend um, choosing a developer engagement based upon an hourly rate. Um, I actually typically, you know, talk to them about scope controlled, um, you know, um, basically project-based scope controlled um, types of engagement so that they don't overbuild and there's responsibility, you know, with both parties on making sure the outcome that they're looking for is prioritized over, you know, fancy features they may wake up thinking about four o'clock in the morning and now want you to build. <laughs> so, right. Yep. So, yeah. So, yeah. So I, I think it's, um, it's, <clears throat> it's not, a um popular way of doing things like popular meaning um maybe easy right uh hourly rate is easy it's real simple this is my hourly rate and you take it or leave it right and you're hoping that you're gonna get the quality like the the uh -huh. developer that's that is gonna deliver that quality but i think scope controlled how you call it i call it just value-based yeah uh billing is a lot harder it's a lot more consultative the approach and it's also you as the founder have to understand hey what does a home run look like mm -hmm. and you have to be able to indicate that so that the person on the other side the developer or the agency can quote that properly because they're taking on a risk, right? A fixed price is a complete risk. Yep. Um, well, it, not complete, but it's yep. it's more risk than an hourly billing because an hour, you, you pay me an hour, you pay me a hundred bucks. That's that. But if I tell you, hey, this is going to cost $20,000 and it takes me well longer, like hour hourly than, uh, than the $20,000, whatever that number is, then I'm, you know, I might've made $20 an hour here instead of making a hundred bucks an hour or whatever. So, um, you really have to understand what the outcome is that you're going for. And they have to understand that they can deliver that outcome That's right. for the number and they're happy to do it. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I think that's, that's the way to go. And that's the way to build a partnership as well. Um, and I think, you know, when you're non-technical and you're not you don't have technical representation on your side, you need to build partnerships with people that can actually do this type of work for sure. That's not gonna nickel and dime you for every single change request that you have. Right, uh, right. So, but that will also push back to you and say, hey, is this, does this change 
help us get to the outcome that we need to get That's to? That's right. Okay, mm -hmm. no? Okay, then we probably should leave that out. This, you know, these extra carousels that you wanted on the homepage, right. I got it, cute, but but it's not going to help us get there quicker. And see, that's what I appreciate about your approach. Um, and and that's really why I also wanted to have you on because it's it's very rare that you find developers that will be, you know, transparent and honest like that with founders because uh, typically also the, the engagement, if it's hourly, then why would they turn down your request for this new carousel? Like, all right, you know, I make more money, you get your carousel. Even if it doesn't really increase the um the result the outcome right that the the, the founder is looking for so I, I really respect your approach to it in that way so andre we're going to wrap up here so i want people to know how they can get in touch with you where where can they find you definitely can come on linkedin i'm there kind of ranting every single day Posting about <laughs> software, if you want to learn about uh, non-technical, uh, if you want to learn an approach to software that I try to take as much technical jargon out of it, definitely check me out on on, on LinkedIn. Um, also, you can go to my website. It's uh, Andre, A-N-D-R-E-Q-B.com. Um, you can jump on my newsletter there, get my email address, send me an email. That'll work. Those two places are the best places that are to reach me. Oh, days. that's great. Yeah, I just want people to know that if you're connected with me on LinkedIn, then I'm connected with Andre. So you can find him in my list as well. Uh, but his name is easy. It's just Andre Barnes, right? Um, <laughs> yep, so, Andre Barnes. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even say that. <laughs> yeah, with, with the long title, with the long title um, <laughs> under your name. <laughs> you share your brain yep, yep. with non-technical entrepreneurs. So you see that, you know, that's Andre. So Andre, I'm gonna let you out of here. Thanks for joining us on Unpolished MBA. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Take care. That's a wrap. That's the end. It's over. All right. If you have any questions for me that you'd like me to answer during the show, feel free to text me. Yes, text me at 470-400-8008. And that's 470-400-8008. And I'll answer it on the show.